0: It is said that the higher you climb, the harder the fall. On Agenda Tonight, we speak to a politician who still bears the political bruises of his rather dramatic departure from office just three weeks ago. David Ashford, MHK, had a meteoric political rise to some of the most senior political roles in Manx politics. So how does he feel after his resignation? Does he have any weaknesses? And where does his future lie? Is there life in the old dog yet? Only one way to find out. So it's nearly three weeks. I think it's nearly three weeks now since you made your statement to the House of Keys. Um, how, how, How are you feeling now?
1: Um, Absolutely fine. I mean, I've always said, for me in politics, it doesn't matter whether I'm a minister or a backbencher, I'm happy to do any job someone wants me to do or no job. Um, I'm looking forward to the challenges ahead as a backbencher. I've already got a motion down for the July tin on a topic that's always been close to my heart. Um, There's several questions that I'm raising in keys tomorrow on Tuesday. Um, And, you know, I'm looking forward to being able to both support and challenge government where appropriate.
0: But, but it can't have been an easy decision for you to take um i mean what was 3 4 weeks ago you were happily being the treasury minister doing in many people's estimation a, a very good job as as treasury minister and then a week later you're on the floor of the house of keys Um, explaining why you've tendered your resignation?
1: Well, it wasn't an easy decision, and there's no such thing, I think, as easy decisions in politics. Um, But one of the things that became very clear um, once the report came out was, you know, that there were failings within the Department of Health and Social Care, um, and that basically, as Minister at the time, I felt it was appropriate that, you know, even if you're not involved in that decision, you've got to take some form of responsibility for that. Um, And I decided to do so.
0: And... Obviously, it's difficult for you to go into a huge amount of depth or indeed very much depth at all in, in relation to the ongoing investigations in relation to the whole uh, um, matter, particularly surrounding uh, the former chief executive of uh, the department, department of Health. Um, but, but I think many people will want to understand how you feel that... Um, I mean, you, you seem to be implying anyway... Uh, both from your letter and indeed from your statement to the House of Keys, that you were faultless, blameless in the whole situation. And uh, it was... everyone else's fault.
1: Well, well I, I didn't quite say that but I've got to try and be very careful what I say because obviously there is still ongoing proceedings and both presiding officers quite rightly have ruled the matter still sub judice. as has the and the Attorney General's chamber's advice is very clear it's still sub judice while there's stuff ongoing so I can't refer directly to the tribunal and um, what I can refer to is what I said in my statement which is quite rightly ministers should not be involving themselves in individual employment matters. Now where certain things are raised with a minister, the minister can investigate and try and satisfy themselves that due process is being followed, um, but they can only do that up to a point. It's um, not for a minister to be involved themselves in individual line management decisions. And in fact, one of the things I pointed out, and you know yourself, Phil, is under the government code, the first thing a minister does on taking office is in order to comply with that code, they sign away a delegation to the CEO of the department to deal with all line management matters.
0: So talking hypotheticals then, um, a department has a senior management team and a a minister uh, clearly leaves the management of the senior management team and the whole of the department, the the staffing resource in the department. uh, That's all left to the chief executive. So you are then told by perhaps uh, department members, members of Comin, that one of your most senior advisors is being silenced by your chief executive um, to my mind as a minister that would be something that I would want to step in to investigate uh, you know, and, and, and we are talking I mean it's difficult it's sort of linked but it's it's a hi- in a hypothetical situation uh, would you not agree that it's extraordinary that the chief exec would, might be trying to silence any of your senior management team not to be able to give you that uh, good advice? Well, that
1: would be an extraordinary thing. The CEOs most certainly should not be trying to silence um, senior management team. It's important there's a breadth of advice and a breadth of uh, decision making. And as a minister, again, I can only talk hypothetically, you would want to ensure yourself that the information was getting through. Um, Certainly, I can say during my time as minister for DHSC and also my time in treasury minister, where anything was raised with me, where someone felt their voice not getting through. Um, I did actually look to actually see where any blockages were, try and resolve those blockages, um, and things changed. But obviously, like I say, I can't speak directly on this case. Once the sub judice is lifted, then I'll happily do much longer form interviews on it. But I can't relate back to anything that might relate to the tribunal. And were
0: you hounded out of office by the media and, and social media? Were you, I mean, you sort of implied that in, in your letters to the chief minister. I don't know where
1: the phrase hounded out has come from, because it's neither in my letter nor my statement um, to House of Keys. Um, I don't feel I've been hounded out of office whatsoever. It was my decision to make, um, and it was the decision I took.
0: OK. Um, so, I mean, there were a few other things then that uh, you mentioned in your... Um, your speech to the house of keys uh, i mean you you obviously have a, a, a deal of admiration for the the chief minister um it is though fair to say that we're nearly uh, uh, well we're nearly finished the the, the first five year uh, sorry first year of the five years uh, of this administration um it's hard to find anything of great merit other than warm words that uh, this government has achieved so far.
1: Well, one of the things I would say is this administration has come in at a very extraordinary point. It was coming in at the back end of um, the COVID um, situation. And also, of course, as soon as that started to slowly start calming down, suddenly cost of living crisis um, hits, a cost of living crisis that we haven't seen for 40 years, or even by some analysis since the 1950s. Um, So there has been an awful lot to take up government's um, agenda and government's resources. Certainly during my time as Treasury Minister, that was the primary focus of Treasury was actually how do we help people and the island's economy actually cope with the shocks um, that it's currently experiencing. Um, certainly as a backbencher I'll be looking closely to see what is coming forward. The island plan that's come forward, I'm fully on board with that. I voted for it, I was involved in it as a minister. Um, but what matters is the delivery. Um, you all know again yourself, you know, you can have as many strategies as you like, um, but unless the delivery is there, that's all they are they're strategy documents so one of the things I'll be very much looking at in the next 12 months is whether government is actually delivering on what it said it needs to deliver the first year of an administration is always a bit strange anyway because again if you look at it from the treasury perspective the treasury minister in any administration's first budget is a bit of a hybrid because of the leftovers from the previous administration so it's in the second year of an administration that if you go back through history administrations tend to come alive um, and so it's the next 12 months that I think will be crucial to mapping out what people's view of this administration is. But I most definitely believe the Chief Minister is the right man for the job. Um, I fully supported him when he came up for election for Chief Minister. and I still fully support him now. I think he is the person to be able to drive change across government and change is needed.
0: And as Treasury Minister, uh, you were limited by a, a whole range of factors which uh, often, as backbenchers, uh, the, the range of factors become less important than the, the issues on the doorstep, which is you know, fair enough. You know That's what members of the House of Keys are elected for, is to represent views on the doorstep. But obviously, as a minister, uh, you have many more challenges uh, to, to, to consider. So it's not just as simple as uh, you know, the public are suffering due to a cost of living uh, crisis, let's throw money at it. You've got to then consider what the implication of throwing the money at it is. Are there things that you think the Treasury Minister should be doing, more things the Treasury Minister should be doing now that you're no longer encumbered by the restrictions that the office held?
1: Well one thing I'm most certainly not going to do is that old political phrase of becoming a backseat driver <laughs> um, I've been Treasury Minister I'm not Treasury Minister anymore and the last thing um, I'm going to do and I don't think my successor would welcome it either is to be commenting from uh, from a side as well oh I would have done that differently or I would have done this um, I think you know as an Ireland we're in a very good situation there's an awful lot of governments that had to go out and borrow in order to see themselves through the pandemic. We weren't in a position where we had to do that we didn't have to borrow in order to cover our day to day expenses in the pandemic Um, there is still a very good and sizable chunk of reserve Um, but one of the challenges with cost of living is of course if inflation doesn't come down quickly if it's not a spike um, but it's actually more of a new trend it's how you actually respond to that because you can't keep doing one off supports, um, timing in time out, because then you'll find you don't have a reserve and you will be in issues. Um, but I think you know one of the things I, I think we've shown over the last twelve months is the administration that's in place now does have a very social attitude um, in terms of supporting people out there. It's a social focus that they've got, um, and I hope that will continue over the life of the administration.
0: And going back then to the plan, um, when the Chief Minister was first elected, we all were enthused because uh, there was uh, we, there was messages like we're going to do fewer things, but we're going to do them better and we're going to deliver and it's going to be a much clearer plan and it's going to be obvious to people that these are the things we're going to do uh, and with a, a smaller list uh, to, to actually achieve, uh, we're much more likely to get there. Would you say that uh, the, the, the bold ambition that uh, was initially... Uh, state it has actually ultimately been delivered in the plan.
1: I, th- I think it has. I mean, I think if, if you compare, I mean, Programme for Government in the last administration, um, it was the first time any administration really had done that. had actually laid out in that detailed way. Um, while there'd been agendas before put out by previous administrations, the Programme for Government was much more detailed. Looking back, because they always say hindsight's an absolutely wonderful thing, um, in the last Tim Ward, I think one of the mistakes with Programme for Government was it became too detailed. It became too drilled down, trying to do too many things. And I quite think, quite rightly, with the Ireland plan, they say, well, actually, let's get back to the basics of it, deliver a few things very well, and also. Focus on the things that people see day in, day out. Um, and I think that, you know, what actually matters to people on the ground. Yes, there's a load of things that will have to be done behind the scenes anyway, um, but let's focus on the things that actually matter to people out there. And again, that's something I will be very looking at very closely as a backbencher to make sure that focus continues because I think it is important that we are focused as an administration, as a government, and as representatives of the island on a few things. Rather than actually trying to do 150 things and achieving none of them,
0: you're listening to David Ashford, MHK. And I should add that uh, the Treasury's department plan uh, of the, I think there's, there's the 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 two have been to Timewell so far, Economic Development or Enterprise Department. I, I always go back to the old title. Um, the, the their plan seemed. Large on gloss and uh, uh, verbiage, but perhaps uh, light on what's this actually mean for me, whereas I, I did think the Treasury plan seemed to be much more focused on these are the things we're going to deliver that's going to improve people's lives, which is is. I would say, what government plans should have in them.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was something I was very keen on doing when I was in Treasury with the Treasury plan is making sure people could relate to us um, because there's many a time that a huge document or plan comes out or strategy comes out from government. And while those of us who are involved in it day to day we may, you know, we we are really engaged, we're really bought into it, we understand it all. To a lot of people out there, it's just 60 pages of waffle or 60 pages of um, unintelligible um, uh, writing. And I really wanted with the Treasury plan to try and put forward how... Treasury actually was going to assist because I think there is sometimes this myth out there around Treasury that Treasury's there with a big red pen saying yes tick or no cross, um, and things aren't going to move forward. It tends what... to be more no cross than yes tick. <laughs> well, 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 the way I've always viewed Treasury is Treasury needs to be a facilitator, so they are the protector of the public purse. So what the way I've always described it is what Treasury needs to do when things come forward is actually look at it and not not say whether the idea is good because that's up to the department that's coming forward with it um it shouldn't be for treasury to say whether the ideas for it but what they should be looking at is the realistic side of the finances is it something that's a priority for government as a whole um and does it fit in with the island plan and the deliverables and so treasury is more of a facilitator as to how things should be done um rather than actually sat there as some people think with the big red pen putting crosses through everything
0: and one of the things that you touched on in in your um Speech to to the House of Keys in which you uh, explained why you'd resigned was uh, you how much you were grateful to the staff that work with you. I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding. Um, uh, in fact, quite a lot of the time, there's a misunderstanding of the public as, as to the role civil servants play. Um, all the civil servants I've ever spoke to told me that in the absence of a clear political steer, yes, indeed, they will, they will make decisions and they'll crack on. But if you've got a, a minister who knows what they want and explains that clearly to them, then, then they follow the lead of the minister. Uh, and, and you have been very grateful uh, in, in, or, or thankful to the, the officers for working with you.
1: I mean, very much so. I mean, without the civil service, nothing would get delivered. Um, and, you know, be that frontline staff or even the staff that in in the background do a lot of work that people just don't see. So within DHSC, it was my honour and privilege for four years to work alongside, um, you know, hard-working and dedicated staff who aren't just delivering on the ground, but are delivering in the background as well. There was an f- absolutely amazing amount of work that was going on. And you're quite right, it's important there is a clear political leaders to what wants to be achieved so people know where to focus their energies and as my time in treasury minister as I specifically referred to in my statement the social security division the work they have done has been absolutely phenomenal in relation to coming up with the schemes being able to make sure the schemes work in relation to getting payments out to people for the cost of living um, as I joked in the statement you know every time they must every time they felt that they were getting back to some form of normality it must feel like us politicians came up with an another great bright idea to take up their time Um, and they were trying to do the day job um, alongside all of that so I've been very lucky as a minister to have been minister in two very hard-working departments with some really really hard-working dedicated staff.
0: Another thing that you referred to in your statement was the need for there to be an excellent working relationship between the minister and the chief executive Uh, Was it the case that you had an excellent working relationship with uh, Mrs. Magson, the uh, former CEO in in or acting was she
1: acting CEO
0: in, in in DHSC?
1: Yes, the acting CEO myself as minister had a very good working relationship um, during my time. Um, it is important, as I said in my statement, that there is that close working relationship because if there isn't, then things break down, and we've seen that previously in DHSC over a number of years, um, where if the relationship between the minister and the CEO is not one of being able to trust one another. Um, challenge yes, but equally have that ability to trust the information that is being given, then very, very quickly the whole system breaks down and it also creates potentially issues at a management team level as well, uh, particularly if people feel elsewhere that that relationship isn't working. So it is absolutely crucial, that key relationship uh, between the political and the administrative um, to ensure that a department function correctly.
0: And I suppose I'll have to ask the question. You probably may not wish to answer it because of the sub judice. Uh, you know, it's, it's to a certain extent quite surprising to hear that you had this good relationship with Catherine Magson, because of course uh, what seems to have come out in the tribunal is that. Uh, Mrs. Magson was acting way off piste. Um, so, if you had this excellent relationship with her, presumably that then implicates you in, in some of her actions.
1: Well, I wouldn't, like I say, I've got to be very careful what I say around the tribunal. What I would say is a good working relationship basically means that you work together and you are able to try and deliver things together. Um, one thing I can say, because it doesn't have an implication for it, is if people read the report, it does actually say at the start it praises. Mrs. Magson for the other things she was doing in the department um, and then obviously says that there were, there were potentially issues elsewhere, but I, I can't say much on that until the judice is lifted. But what I was referring to was the relate working relationship. So it doesn't mean the Minister agrees with everything, with the CEO, um, and it doesn't mean the Minister's informed of every single thing that goes on day to day. What that relationship means is you have got to trust your CEO to get on with their job, which is the line management of the department and making sure that the wishes of the political board are implemented. And equally, the CEO needs to have clear direction from the Minister, in terms of policy, um what the Department needs to deliver. So it's about having that trust that the people the people in concern need to be able to do the relevant job that they're employed to do.
0: Another of the things that you touched on in your statement to the House of Keys was the um the incredible difficulty. Of getting your the the whole well I was going to say work life balance but it's work work balance really really get, getting that right between constituency matters parliamentary matters and of course the the day to day job which is trying to keep the uh, the department on track um, whilst uh, several people are throwing throwing bombs at it uh, from from various directions uh, not an easy task um, so so i mean what what you're saying is is moving towards the backbenches you're you're hoping to get some form of balance uh, back into into your life?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the th- things that brought me into politics, in fact, the main thing that brought me into politics, was trying to and hoping to affect change on the ground. Um, I didn't just rush for the House of Keys. I spent eight and a half years in Douglas Council. Um, I must be honest, I never even had much intention of standing for the House of Keys initially when I went into politics in the island. I was quite happy at local authority level. And then there were a few people who convinced me maybe I should go for Keys, which I did. Um, but I've always enjoyed trying to help constituents and help people out there on the ground. During the pandemic period I was being contacted in some cases by about 100 people a day um, looking for various forms of help but when it's a, when you're in a minister's role it is very difficult because you've equally got to split your time um, so that you're actually doing what you need to do as minister which is direct policy um, and becoming involved in that area within the department so trying to balance that off against the needs of the constituency um, can be quite difficult and I'd like to take the opportunity to thank my constituents of Douglas North for the fact they have tolerated should we say me being a minister in two very high profile and high work environment uh, ministers ministries um, and I think you know they, they've actually been very understanding where I haven't got back to them perhaps as quickly as I would under normal circumstances um, but I'm looking very much uh, to focusing on what we can deliver for Douglas North and for the island as a whole at a community level
0: you were in in this uh, position during the, um, the 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 COVID outbreak. Um, I mean, it's you, you had no ministerial experience, and then to a large extent, you kind of you really are in the firing line. And and I think it's fair to say that most people would would agree uh, that you played a blinder um, during your time as as health minister. Indeed, uh, you know. Sometimes the Chief Minister, Howard Quayle, came over as a little bit over-scripted, uh, whereas uh, your contributions seemed very open and, and natural. And uh, you know, the public generally thought you were doing a good job. So it, it came as quite a surprise, I think, to many uh, to then read the the outcome of the tribunal. Um, is is it i mean it must be very difficult for you uh, because effectively uh, you were riding the crest of a of a popular wave uh, as uh, as minister uh, in dhsc and then you know within i don't know uh, 7 or 8 months uh, you're you're in the position that you're in now
1: well, things change in politics constantly. Um, anyone who went and goes into politics to be popular, um, I think I'd suggest they find another career, to be perfectly honest. There are decisions that you will always make as a politician. Some things people will agree with you on, some things people won't. There were periods during the COVID outbreak where I'm sure there was, an awful lot of people who disagreed with the decisions um and certainly particular decisions um I, what I, I tried to do as health minister was try to communicate information as clearly as possible um, and to try and reassure the public that we were try, working hard as were all of the staff across government um to try and protect the island as much as we could um there were you know looking back there will always be things that if you were doing it again, with the, again, I've said earlier in the interview, this wonderful phrase about, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, would you do them the same way? No, you probably wouldn't. Um, and that's why I think it's important we have the COVID inquiry, um, because it should bring out lessons to be learned should anything similar to this happen again. But we were dealing with an event that we hadn't seen basically in a century. Um, and the world has moved on a lot in that century. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was never, you know, it was never about whether people agreed with me or not. It's always been about doing what I thought was best in the role that I was in.
0: One of the things that doesn't occur anywhere in, in, in politics, as far as I'm aware, is any kind of support for people who've been in positions like you're in. Um, and despite the, the cheery and, and bright sort of persona that you're coming over with here, um, it's, it's an incredibly difficult position to go from... Um, where you were um which was generally very well supported to 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 the position that you're in now um do, do, i mean do, do you think that perhaps sometimes the public expects too much of their politicians?
1: I think I I don't, I don't I'm not I think sometimes that I made this reference in my um, statement to Keys. I think sometimes we as politicians don't help because we portray ministers as if they are basically omnipotent um, creatures that uh, know everything, who are involved in everything. You know this old phrase that keeps getting trotted out, and I'm as guilty as anyone of using this phrase, and I know you have in the past, Phil, about the minister is the department, and legally that is actually correct, um, but it's this perception that our system has that the minister is involved in absolutely everything um, and therefore the minister knows every single thing that happens every single day in every single part of their department um, and it's just not actually the case um, and that's one of the reasons I think the whole makeup of government needs to change as well because if we are going to get one culture across government then we need one government and this setup of having departments completely insular I think over the last five years or so that insularity has broken down a bit but not far enough um we need to have a one government approach
0: simple question do you have any weaknesses
1: um yes i mean we all have weaknesses um i think sometimes i get overly involved in detail um you know and, and you know I'm, I'm i have the same weaknesses as anyone else um, i'm not infallible um nobody is
0: and and there's a whole range of other things I'd love to talk to you about, but we are uh, running out of time. Um, I suppose uh, then the the question is, uh, what, what sort of, what what can we expect from David Ashford? Um, MHK for, for Douglas North as opposed to David Ashford, the Minister?
1: Well, one of the things that Ministerial Office has given me um, is more experience within government. Um, I was only a backbencher for 18 months before I basically became Minister for Health and Social Care, so next to no time at all. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back to pushing forward on my manifesto um, and what was in there. I've already got a motion down for July's Timwood in relation to a general debate on local government reform. Um, and I think people will be seeing me quite an active backbencher. Um, I was in the previous eighteen months when I was a backbencher, and I'd suggest if people want to see what I what I'll be like as a backbencher, look back to those eighteen months um, because I'm back.
0: So, what about David Ashford's plans for local government reform? Your time then as Douglas councillor, you must have seen some pretty horrific things to to have driven you so much to 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 want to reform local government.
1: I've, I've had the view that, you know, and it's a difficult one, and there's, there's people who will disagree with me. Um, again, we were talking about, you know, no one having the uh, pot of wisdom. Uh, my view has always been the same, which is the five local authority model, North, South, East, West and Douglas. Um, I know there's some people who prefer a nine model. Um, but one of the things I would say I saw as a local authority member is that sometimes The local authorities themselves do an awful lot of hard work, particularly the small local authorities, actually, um, which it may seem I'm trying to be critical of by saying it needs to reform, but they're not given the support to be able to deliver the services. I've always felt that authorities on a bigger scale um, actually will be able to deliver more services. We have a very centralised government here in the island and we need to decentralise. I think I remember doing an interview, probably about back when I was a local councillor, so I think it was with Roger Watson actually, um, where I said we've got to be one of the few governments that actually plays with car parks, uh, where government is actually running and operating car parks when it should really be a local authority function.
0: And I handed it over to you, and and, you and, then, they, and, and then they handed it back.
1: And and you, were ju- and you I was just literally going to come on and say, when you were Minister, Phil, um, you were someone who recognised that, and in fact you handed to Douglas at the time, um, the Shure, uh, not Shores Brow, because they already had Shores Brow, but um, the Chester Street car park, and also Drumgold Street um, to the local authority. Um, But, you know, I I think there needs to be much more refined statutory functions for local authorities, more stuff delivered on the ground, building control, where, for instance, Douglas, and there is a couple of others, I think Oncom's one, um, and then there's another authority that deliver building control. Other than that, it's centralised in government. It shouldn't be. Um, One of the things that, one of the big Success stories, I think, is Garth as a local authority where they've created Garth. But what they've done is they've maintained the wards system, so it means there's still local representation from every single area within that district on the local authority. And also, what's been happening down, of course, in uh, Down with Russian as well. Um That you know, with that with that merger down there.
0: But um, but you're a big supporter of the the single smarter government approach. The uh, um, the You you call it single government, uh, uh, Chris Robertshaw was was calling it single legal entity, um, whatever. Uh, So the idea or or part of the idea behind that was that government becomes a single entity um, is smaller and smarter. Douglas isn't small or smart, is it?
1: Well, I th- actually, I think that's a, that's a bit unfair, actually. One of the things I saw in eight and a half years um, with Douglas Council, I didn't agree with every single decision. I was quite vocal about uh, some of them over my time, and I still am as an MHK. Um, but I, I think Douglas actually has delivered an awful lot for the money it collects. If you actually look at where the and rates... And it does collect an awful lot of money. Yeah, and, but if you actually look where the rates could have been, the, the rate increase has tended to be below inflation, I think, in all but two of the last uh, last twelve thirteen years so um, you know I I think Douglas is actually achieving an awful lot I know certainly when I was on Douglas there was an awful lot of efficiency savings particularly around the sort of um, environmental services area Um, so in terms of what was being delivered by the gangs out on the streets there was an awful lot of efficiency savings brought in there across the vehicle fleet of Douglas Council as well so actually I I think you know Douglas does, is there more efficiencies to be made across all local authorities I think so Um, but one of the things that I think will help with efficiency savings is having local authorities of a larger size to be able to deliver various services and combining their forces to be able to deliver those services.
0: Would you say that some of those efficiencies have led to ultimately Charles Gard having to produce his video?
1: Well, one of the things is you've got to be very careful with efficiencies because there can be unintended consequences. And a lot of the time, you don't necessarily know until you try something what the outcome is. Um, I think with Charles and the video, a lot of it goes back to what I said towards the start of the in- the interview, which is what we need to be focusing on is delivering things on the ground because you can do as much stuff in the background as you like. But if people aren't seeing um, things on the ground or they feel things aren't right... Um, then basically you're not going to succeed. So the focus of this administration and also of local authorities needs to be, as I've always believed, delivering what people can actually see and feel on the ground and what they feel makes a difference to them.
0: That was former Treasury and Health Minister David Ashford MHK. No doubt he will be facing further troubled waters as more is revealed about the activities of his department during COVID. Please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on the show. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn, Gurumayu. Thanks for listening.